Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. Sponsored by Bridge Bank. Be bold. Venture wisely. I'm Dan Pramack. On today's show, unicorns keep stampeding on Wall Street and how the Avengers got hacked. But first, breaking down the Democrats. So today I'm taping from Beverly Hills, where I'm in town for the Milken Global Conference, kind of the West Coast version of Davos, just with more focus on business and less on skiing. And the most common complaint I've heard from CEOs and investors in the hallways is that they've got no real handle on the Democratic primary at this point, given that we now have at least 20 candidates in the race. This complaint isn't so much because all of these people love Trump or hate Trump or want him to win or want him to lose, so much as it is that they'd like to know what the terms of the general political debate will be over the next 18 months, particularly on the economy. For example, will there be a push to rescind or reduce the corporate tax cut? Where's Medicare for all? Will employers still be on the hook for health insurance? Maybe not. Stronger antitrust regulations, both for tech and other industries, or maybe greater regulation on energy extraction technologies like fracking, maybe even a carbon tax, or again, a wealth tax, which Elizabeth Warren has championed to reduce economic inequality. These are all things that have been talked about, but with so many people running, it's still very hard to figure out what takes hold and what gets forgotten. That matters because not only might it be what a Democratic president would push for, but some of them are also things that could get co-opted by President Trump in a sort of populist move. There is never certainty this early in a presidential campaign cycle, but the level of uncertainty this time around is indeed elevated. And that has a lot of the smartest people in the room feeling pretty dumb. We'll go deeper in 20 seconds with Axios political reporter Alexi McCammond. But first, this. The Equity Fund Resources Group at BridgeBank is a central hub for the venture capital and private equity communities. Offering banking services for funds, partners, and their portfolio companies, BridgeBank's financial solutions are designed for the entire innovation ecosystem and include creative credit solutions, robust treasury and cash management capabilities, and a suite of international banking products. BridgeBank is a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. We're joined now by Axios political reporter Lexi McCammon. So, Lexi, the famous line from James Carville in 1992 was the whole, it's the economy's stupid. And candidates from both parties have kind of adopted that as gospel. Is that still true in this year's Democratic primary, particularly with very low unemployment and kind of continued national economic growth? The economy is certainly a driving topic for Democrats running for president in 2020. There are a couple of interesting things happening with that message, though, especially as President Trump is and will continue to tout a strong economy, low unemployment numbers. You know, he claims that wages are rising, which they are in different cases. But Democrats, the way they're talking about the economy is once tying it to racial inequalities and what that means for the economy. So folks of color who have been left out of job opportunities or who, you know, suffer from a larger pay gap than, you know, white women and white men. But the other thing is something that Joe Biden talked about yesterday at his kickoff speech, which I thought was really fascinating based on some of the reporting I've done with Obama Trump swing voters throughout the Midwest. And Joe Biden's economic message was basically the economy might be booming and moving in the right direction, but are you feeling it personally? No. And that is something that I think we will start to see other Democratic candidates latching onto because when I talk to these swing voters or voters in rural areas throughout the Midwest, they say that exact same thing. They say they think the economy is moving in the right direction, both nationally and locally for them in whatever state they're in, whether it's Ohio or Wisconsin or Iowa, but that they're still living paycheck to paycheck and they're struggling to make ends meet because their wages aren't necessarily where they need them to be or because costs are getting bigger and more unstable for them. That's an interesting flip kind of from where we were 
two years ago or say three years ago in the last presidential campaign, because then I remember seeing surveys and voters would say, my economic situation is better than it was, say, four years ago or maybe six years ago when the financial crisis hit. But Mm -hmm. I think the broader economy is not doing very well. And you're saying right now it's people saying, I think the broader economy is doing fine. I haven't improved. Yep. And I think it's because it's not just trying to pay for things or what you're making at work or whether or not you saw an increase in your paycheck from the GOP tax law. It's also something like rising health care costs and insurance premiums, which is something that obviously directly affects the pockets of millions of Americans around the country and affects the way that they're feeling personally, financially, despite the national economy or the local economy moving in the right direction. I'm here at this Milk and Global conference, and as I said in the open, there's a lot of uh, concern might be the right word from CEOs, investors, not about particular policies that have gotten put out, but this kind of bigger question of what ones are going to take hold, particularly on economics. And what people keep saying is the only person from their perspective who is really laying something out with lots and lots of specifics is Elizabeth Warren. Is that a fair, at least when it comes to economic policy, particularly, and kind of even personal finance policy, I guess, you know, free college tuition, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Is that a fair understanding of kind of where the field is at right now, that she's kind of the one who's coming out with the deepest policy papers and everyone else is either latching onto them or kind of just steering clear of specific policy? Yes, that's exactly right. Elizabeth Warren has sort of labeled herself as the policy wonk or the nerd, so to speak, for this 2020 primary field. And that and she's, you know, backing that up with actual policy specifics and proposals for any number of things that you just mentioned. And she's really leading the pack in this way and forcing other candidates to talk about these different things. I will say something that I've been looking for and that I think we should continue to look for from other Democratic candidates is specific plans that they are rolling out to expand the earned income tax credit. And that's something that these smaller progressive activist groups have been pushing candidates on, not just Elizabeth Warren, because they think that she's sort of been ahead of this with all of her policies, but people like Cory Booker, who just came out with the Rise Credit Plan, which was an expansion of the earned income tax credit. Kamala Harris has the Lift Act, which this group met with her and Cory Booker to talk about how to expand this and make it more equitable, they say, for middle class families and lower income folks to redefine what traditional work means. And that's an economic policy or policies, rather, that I think we're going to start to see more and more candidates coming out on, especially as more folks like Elizabeth Warren and Cory Booker try to be the leading voice on economic issues. And really, as Kamala Harris has sort of made her entire campaign about trying to appeal to the middle class. When you talk to voters, and obviously it's hard, no one knows exactly why they vote for someone or against someone, Mm -hmm. at least in most cases. But do you get a sense that the candidates that do have these specific policies that, you know, folks like you and me kind of pour over in detail, do they really care about that so much as simply, I like him or her, or I just have a good feeling about them? I hear a lot on the campaign trail, no matter where I've been, about personalities. And that is something that is a little surprising to me, I think probably coming from the D.C. bubble. But like you mentioned, like the fact that you and I pour over these things and really look at the nuanced details. I hear a lot about personality from people on the campaign trail who say like, you know, President Trump isn't politically that bad, but his personality really sucks. Or I think he's a liar and I want a sense of normalcy and transparency and honesty. Or at Beto O'Rourke's kickoff rally in El Paso a couple of weeks ago, people would just say, you know, he makes me feel good. I like that he's positive, that he paints this optimistic view of the future. So I hear that a lot. But one thing I've noticed, especially with Elizabeth Warren, is she's sort of coming into this role where she not only is trying to make people feel good by making these big, broad, sweeping statements about the state of 
everything. But she actually has plans to back it up. And people that I talked to when I was in Houston last week said that they really appreciated that because now they're starting to hear all of the candidates say things to simply make them feel good or to take on this moment and to meet the moment that we're in politically. But they want someone who not just makes them feel good, but someone who has the plans to back it up because they want someone ultimately at the end of the day who's predictable when they get into office. And I feel that a lot of people I've talked to feel that under President Trump, whether they voted for him or not, it's really just been a sort of unpredictable time politically. And they want plans to know what they can sort of expect from the next president. We have this enormous number of Democratic candidates. I think I did the back of the envelope math. And if the same number of people voted in this Democratic primary as they did the last time, and there will be more, but you theoretically could win the Iowa primary with way fewer than 10,000 votes. Is there going to be a shakeout at some point? And if so, what creates that shakeout? My view is that there are so many candidates running because it is sort of like a why not year. There's not really a downside to running for president, but you need to have the momentum, the support, and the financial means to be able to make it to Iowa and actually perform. And I sort of think that if someone bows out before Iowa, it'll become clear that they were really running just to have like a shot at building their name ID. But it's a serious game. And I think the DNC rules changes that make it such that you have to have 65,000 donors to qualify for the debates or have at least 1% polling across three national polls. That might sound easy, but people like Julian Castro have not qualified for the debates before someone like Andrew Yang, who was relatively relatively unknown until a few months ago. So I think that could sort of change the calculus when we're thinking about who makes it to Iowa and who sticks through it until then, especially if they don't make it on the debate stage in June and July. Lexi McCammon, thank you so much for joining us. My final two right after this. The Equity Fund Resource Group at Bridge Bank is a central hub for the venture capital and private equity communities. Leveraging nearly two decades of expertise delivering solutions to emerging technology and growth companies, BridgeBank now offers services for funds, SBICs, and general partners including creative credit solutions, robust treasury management capabilities, and a suite of international banking services. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Be bold, venture wisely. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is the incredible burst of IPO activity from well-known tech startups. We've already gotten Lyft and Pinterest this year with Uber launching its roadshow yesterday, Slack coming to market soon, and now official word that both Airbnb and WeWork are planning second half offerings. So one of the big concerns here isn't about any of the particular issues, but where the overall money is gonna come from. We're talking here about tens of billions of dollars for newly public companies, and some worries that that cash will get pulled out of legacy public companies. But from talking to investors here at the Milken Conference, the feeling is the bull market has created so much uninvested capital or money on the sidelines that it can easily absorb what's coming to Wall Street from Silicon Valley. And finally, folks in Cambridge, Massachusetts got a surprise over the weekend when the Great Dome on MIT's campus was covered with a giant, and I mean giant, piece of fabric that looked like Captain America's shield. It's the latest in a tradition of MIT students using the iconic dome for pranks, with one unidentified student telling the Boston Globe that he and his friends began planning this nearly a year ago, when news of the new Marvel Avengers movie was first announced. And for the record, Chris Evans, who plays Captain America in the movie and who is from Massachusetts, tweeted out, very cool, in response to the Globe article. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producer, Tim Shovers, have a great national Bugs Bunny Day. And we'll be back on Thursday with another Pro Rata Podcast.